This is episode 121 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Animal Predators on the Homestead Honey, I Shrunk the Farm, How to Produce a Sustainable Food Supply Anywhere. This article right here and this title might surprise you. And Without Electricity, Level 1 Prepping and Preparedness. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Before we get started, uh, welcome again to another week of the podcast. Uh, we did get a, a review on iTunes, so just a quick shout out to Mr. Fix-It Handyman. Thank you so much for leaving a review for us. Uh, he says, I listen to every single broadcast. There's always at least one excellent article in each broadcast. And the others are worth listening to. Thanks for your good work. So thank you, Mr. Fix-It Handyman. Appreciate uh, that uh, review. Reviews always help out. Uh, it lets other people know. You know, when, when iTunes starts, it gets a podcast that are, it's getting reviews, they tend to show that, you know, a little bit faster in their algorithms as people are starting to search. And then people can find the podcast a lot faster and uh, get to it. And uh, so, you know, we always appreciate those reviews. Uh, if you if you get a chance and you can leave a view, review on iTunes or Stitcher or one of the other podcasting networks, really, really appreciate it. Really thank you for that. Um, let's go ahead and move into our first article. This one's coming to us from preparednessmama.com. I'm going to have to, uh, you're going to have to bear with me just a little bit because I'm not going to be able to uh, to increase the size of this one for my for my eyes as much as normal because it, it gets um, blocked on the edges over here for me. So um, just, I'm going to have to suffer through this in just a little bit. But uh, interesting one, Animal Predators on the Homestead, has kind of spoke to me a little bit because I, uh, I have a cousin who's moved out to the country, and uh, she posted on Facebook that she, has, uh, she hasn't been getting eggs recently, and uh, it's because snakes. There's tons of snakes. And she, you know, she loves snakes. She's actually had some pet snakes before in the past. So it's not, you know, within her, uh, I, I guess, she, she doesn't want to go kill them, right? I mean, she, she wants to, uh, you know, protect them, whatever, all those kinds of things. But at the same time, she's losing eggs. And so this is, uh, you know, this is an important uh, aspect. When you're living on the homestead and you're doing chickens, even, even when we had chickens back here in our, you know, in, in our suburban uh, you know, our suburban neighborhood, uh, I've talked about it before, you know, the second day that I had the chickens out there, I mean, they were in a small little backyard coop, um, have big chicken hawks coming, I mean, this sucker was huge, you know, you see them flying around in the sky, they don't look that big, but this sucker landed on our fence, and oh my gosh, um, he realized that they were, you know, behind a fence and wasn't going to be able to get to them, but eventually something did get to them, I've never been able to figure out what exactly, I guess it must have been a raccoon, that got in there somehow, but, um, you, you know, when you have only a small amount, when you only have two, uh, that doesn't fare very well, but, uh, this might be your, your, uh, your problem as well, or even later on in the future, if for whatever reason, uh, we get to a situation where you are gardening and you are, I mean, this, this might be something you might want to consider. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Several years ago, we lived on a beautiful wooded piece of land in the Oregon Cascade foothills. The pine trees were abundant and so were the predators, although the latter were often hard to recognize. After our first snow, we took a stroll around the property and were s surprised by the tracks that were left behind. 
We had no idea that a bobcat was living right above us on the wooded mountainside until we saw the tracks. Bobcats prey on small or young livestock, poultry, and pets. They hunt before dusk through the early morning daylight hours during the fall and winter. They are rarely seen and behave cautiously around humans, but will growl, hiss, or spit if threatened or protecting a kill. We learned to avoid surprisingly a bobcat by making noise when we were walking on the property's outer paths and to remain observant for their signs by looking for claw marks, scat, and tracks. Dealing with bobcats in homes and yards, there are a few things you can do to deter a bobcat from coming after your chickens or pets. Don't leave pet food or water outside. Keep poultry and other pet, pet birds pinned with a secure top, not a tarp or a flimsy netting. Clear brush and other hiding places in your yard and around buildings. Cover access to the undersides of decks, porches, and animal housing. Keep vulnerable animals in a secure location during birthing seasons. And remove sick or injured animals from the area. Bobcats, bobcats can jump six feet. Make sure fences are tight and secure. Place electric scare wires outside the fence at 12 and 18 inches above the ground. Add another near the top. If you meet a bobcat, do not approach the animal or run away. Instead, back away slowly from the cat or its kill. Pick up small children. In the rare case of an attack, the bobcat will target the head, neck, or shoulders. Use pepper spray, fight off, and hit the cat while trying to protect your head and neck. Make loud noises. If you want to keep your animals safe, you should assume that they are vulnerable to predator attacks. What's that old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? Understanding the potential threat and making your animal secure is going to help you win the battle. But where can you learn about the predators that you are in that are in your area? Specific predators information relevant to your area can be found from the Natural Resource Departments in states and provinces in USDA extension offices in your area and the Ministry of Agriculture in Canada. Also, check with local livestock producers organizations. You can also stay informed by talking to neighbors and following local news stories. The Encyclopedia of Animal Predators by Janet Warwold Donner. I've enjoyed a new book about animal predators by Janet Warwold Donner. She creates an immersive experience as you learn about the potential predators to your livestock, and more importantly, she advocates for a peaceful coexistence with these animals. While your first thought may be to head out with a shotgun, that may not always be necessary. On the dedication page, she states, dedicated to the belief that, armed with knowledge, we can coexist with the animal predators on our farms, on our ranches, in our backyards, and in the greater world we share. Miss Donner begins the book by breaking it into three sections. First, predators in the modern world. This section is also about learning which predators are out there and how they can attack your livestock. She arms you with the tools of becoming a junior sleuth in uncovering what, what killed a member of your flock and how to protect them in the future. Second, the predators up close section is also about, you guessed it, the 50 most common predators that can be potentially facing in your area. Donner goes into the specifics of each animal such as where subspe subspecies are found, how to identify them by their scat, track, and gait. She breaks all the common predators up into their genus, genus like canines, felines, etc. At the end of the animal's evaluation, there is a page or two that have what Donner calls a damage ID card. 
It contains information about what the animal typically preys on and when their track size, how they kill their prey, their gait, and scat. Third, the prevention and protection section, which is very important to any homesteader or farmer. Donner discusses the pros and cons of different coops, gates, and guardian animals to have and which will work best for the livestock or poultry that you have on your farm or ranch. And she goes in depth even to include protection for family pets. Right off the bat, Miss Donner shows you that she is an expert in the field of common predators preying on farm animals. She gives you information that will be valuable in determining what threats are possible in your area. Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia of Animal Predators has detailed pictures and several pages of information about each predator showing the difference between the subspecies to help you identify them. One of the most useful points is in the Encyclopedia of Animal Predators are the damage ID guides for poultry and livestock. It is a giant checklist for all the predators, the time they attack, what's missing from the animal, evaluating the teeth, talon, or claw marks, and other observations. It's brilliant. This guide arms you with the knowledge of what is hunting your animals and how to better protect them. She also includes what to do when, if you're in, you encounter a wild animal, how to protect yourself, or how to evade them. I found this book to be a valuable addition to my preparedness library and advocate adding, advocate adding it to any homestead, whether urban, suburban, or rural. If you raise livestock, you need to know the risks. Janet Warwell Donner is the author of the Encyclopedia of Animal Predators. Learn about each predator's traits and behaviors. Identify the tracks and signs of more than 50 predators. Protect your livestock, poultry, and pets. And the book, Farm Dogs and Livestock Guardians. She has 35 years of experience on her small family farm and relied on livestock guard dogs and corgis to protect her sheep, goats, and poultry. Donner writes for Modern Farmer and Modern Earth News and speaks regularly on predator control and livestock guardians at conferences. She is a board member of the Kangel Dog Club of America and a member of several learning communities for working dogs. So definitely, you know, there's um, if you are out there and you've got a homestead, you're you're homesteading, you're you know you're out there, um, or you're fixing to do that here in the future. This might be a, a good resource to go look into. Uh, you, you can probably learn a lot. I mean, this this uh, review is talking about. Uh, all the different uh, aspects of this book, and to me, it would have been great. I, I would have liked to have this book just to kind of know what the possible things, you know, that got to our chickens. Um, you kind of have some ideas. Um, there wasn't a lot of openings, so you kind of wonder, like, how exactly they got in there. Um, you know, actually, the, the space for uh, a raccoon, we kind of assumed it was a raccoon, but the space was really kind of small, unless it was a smaller raccoon. So it would have been nice to have something, a resource like this, uh, maybe save you potentially a whole lot of money later on down uh, in the future, you know, where you can uh, make, uh, make your coops and make your, uh, your animals, that your livestock that you're depending on, uh, secure them. So you might want to go check that out over at uh, preparedestmama.com. Uh, good information about the bobcat there and uh, realizing I know that we've had, when my dad had his place, before uh, before this one, when I was younger, he had another place up in Crockett, or actually, um, not Crockett, it was Grapeland, uh, between Grapeland and Elkhart, Texas, East Texas, if any of you are out there. Uh, it was a great place. I wish we still had it, actually. Um, but uh, Bobcat had gotten some of the neighbor's uh, uh, you know, dogs, uh, small dogs, and, and he had a you know, litter of dogs, and it was an outside dog. 
and uh, you know had gotten to him, and so it was one of those that he was always on the lookout for. So uh, you know something to uh, something to consider there. Our next article comes to us from Sheepdog Man, uh, Justin and uh, Stephen putting out some information out there, and so uh, this article is not going to be what you think is going to be uh, on this one, but it's interesting, and so I'm gonna. You're, as I read this, you're going to have to open your mind just a little bit uh, as, we, as we move forward from here. But the title of the article is, Honey, I Shrunk the Farm, How to Produce a Sustainable Food Supply Anywhere. So let's get started on this one. Do you want to achieve sustainability through farming or homesteading, but can't? Is there a mountain of obstacles in the way? Do you live in the city and don't have the room for cattle or don't have enough money or space to house animals of any kind? If that's you, I want to suggest a solution. In this article, I'm going to show you how you can shrink the farm and create a sustainable food source in any space and on any budget. What if I told you that there is a way to raise a sustainable food source at a fraction of the cost and at one thousandth the space? What if you could do this with less than $200 startup cost and less than $20 a month? Would you consider it? The idea I want to introduce you to is both scientifically healthy and resourceful, even revolutionary. So, drum roll please. Enter entomology farming. What is entomology, you might ask? Entomology is the branch of zoology concerned with the study of insects. It's from Google. So put two and two together, I'm talking about farming insects for consumption. I know, I know, the idea disgusts me too at first, but then I tried it and found that it's something I could do. You can see how that went into the video below. So there is a video that you can uh, see here, about a five minute video. And uh, continuing on now, I would like to share with you why the idea might just save your life from the SHTF. Specifically, I would like to talk to you about the benefits of farming crickets. Three reasons to consider cricket farming. Number one, raising crickets is cheaper than other alternatives. So maybe you are like me and you want to have a plan for post-SHTF, and a sustainable food source is part of that plan. Now, plants are a good idea, but maybe you want some protein from different sources other than plants. So let's explore our options. Let's start with beef. Beef is probably one of the most popular protein sources available. Not to mention, it is one of the most flavorful. I mean, what's better than a nice, tender, savory steak cooked the way you like it? A steak cooked so perfectly that you can cut it with a, a butter knife. They melt in your mouth, delicious sensation that comes with every bite. That is wonderful. Am I, am I making you hungry yet? Alright, let's see what it looks like going with beef. First, let's consider how much it will cost to produce one year's worth of meat for a small family. According to the studies made by the University of Wyoming, one cow typically yields about 450 pounds. And according to NPR, the average American eats about 270 pounds of beef per year. So under normal circumstances, if we take a family of four, for example, the family would have to raise two cows per year to sustain the appetite of all the family members. Notice, those numbers might change in survival situations depending on where one lives. Beef might be hard to come by and one may not subsequently eat as much. Alternatively, if beef is one of the only food sources around, a family could eat more than stated. The University of Wyoming also said the total spent on raising beef is $1,845.86. 
The same amount of beef purchased in the store is estimated to cost $2,081.25. While it's great to know that raising beef can be cheaper than buying it from the grocery store, not everyone will find this possible. Three reasons beef may not be the best option. One is not everyone can fork out the startup fees for a cow for $1,800, let alone two. Not everyone has the land to keep and maintain for such large animals. If you live in the city, you might not have access to pasture. And if you plan on renting land, that just adds to your cost of raising cattle. Not everyone has the time to care for a beast of the size when it comes to feeding two times a day and watching water supply. The time caring for an animal that size can be extensive. So, we're not ruling out cattle for a sustainable food source, but let's consider some other options that are cheaper and smaller. Raising rabbits is an excellent idea. They are much more affordable than cattle. They take up little space comparatively. One could easily fit a rabbit in a 30 by 36 inch cage and be alright. Also, having rabbits in your front yard eating the grass is much more feasible than having a cow in the front yard. Rabbits win that challenge. Rabbits also reproduce very quickly, like rabbits. According to Mother Earth News, two does and one buck should produce 180 pounds of meat per year. That's light years faster than what it takes a cow to reproduce. Um, just quick note, I've seen higher numbers than that of pounds. If you have two does and a buck and you, uh, you're able to breed them optimally. Uh, but that's just from what I remember in my reading. Okay, um, even with all the pros of raising rabbits, there still only comes to second place on the list. Why is this? The cost. The cost is less than raising beef, no doubt, but it is still expensive as the average annual cost of raising rabbits is about $840 to $1,020, depending on the size of your colony. That brings us to the number one seat, crickets. Now, you still might be thinking that I'm nuts for even considering the source, but stick with me and at least humor the notion of what they have to offer. The cost of raising crickets is so minimal it doesn't even compare. Now we are only talking about farming a small herd of crickets. Commercial farming can become expensive. However, farming a small herd of crickets that is still large enough to feed your entire family is pennies on the dollar. One can purchase all materials for farming crickets for less than $200 and maintain them for less than $20 a week. Crickets are easily sustainable. Crickets have a faster reproductive cycle and thereby provide the most sustainable food source over any other protein source. Crickets reproduce at lightning pace. It only takes six weeks for crickets to go from egg to adult, whereas it takes cattle ten months to develop in the womb, then additional months to reach adulthood once born. Rabbits only bake for about 31, 31 days. However, they need anywhere from six to nine months to fully mature to reproduce. That leaves crickets at the top with the fastest reproduction cycle of six weeks. So crickets reproduce fast and are inexpensive, but, what, but why should I choose to farm crickets over traditional livestock? Nutritional value. Crickets produce more protein, vitamins, and nutrients than other sources. What makes this possible is the use of their hard shell called an exoskeleton. This hard shell contains iron, calcium, and B12 vitamins. Crickets can be eaten whole or ground up into a powder. This powder is known as cricket flour or cricket protein powder. According to Dr. Axe from Health and Fitness, the top five cricket flour benefits are helps with bodybuilding, boosts weight loss, is gluten-free, good source of vitamin B12, and provides essential amino acids. The fact that one uses the entire insect is another plus for crickets. 
one can consume more than 80% of the real cricket compared to cattle or other livestock. Although using cattle and other livestock animals has increased in overall usage, one can still only use a limited portion of the animal. Plus, there is the amount of meat all at once. After butchering a cow, one would have to consume the meat rather quickly or have a place to either freeze it or preserve it. This just adds to the complexity of raising beef for a sustainable food source. So, in conclusion, crickets are a healthy alternative and more sustainable protein source. How to get started. Want to get started on your cricket farm today? We've made it easy by creating an Amazon page of essential items. Do, your farm crickets do you farm crickets already? Tell us about it in the comments section below. So uh, they have all the, um, I guess all the notes that they have taken, all the, uh, the uh, links that they have linked to are at the bottom. Kind of like a bibliography. I kind of like the way they do that on a sheepdog man. And uh, so you can go and click on those. Uh, let me click on their Amazon page just kind of really quickly. And they have a little store of all the things that you can, uh, that you need for growing, for growing crickets. Uh, yeah, it looks like all small, like small stuff that you, it's not going to take a whole big, uh, a whole lot. I really would have liked it, and hopefully they do this, is go into ways of cooking, uh, cooking crickets, uh, things that you can do with it. You know, how hard is it? What are you dealing with? Are you dealing with, uh, you know, you're, you're bringing out the live cricket and you're, you know, pinching off the, the wings and the legs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that might be something that people are interested interested in in actually, you know, cooking them up and, and uh, eating them that way. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible story, John the Baptist, it's recorded in the Bible that John the Baptist ate wild honey and grasshopper or locust out in the um, out in the wilderness of uh, the Judean wilderness. So, uh, you know, you always kind of have that in the back of your mind. And uh, they were um, legal, I guess, for uh, for Jewish uh, Jewish people to eat as far as, uh, you know, what their dietary laws would consist of. So, uh, you know, people have been eating them for a long, long time. But I'd probably better to eat a grasshopper than or a cricket than eating, um, you know, eating some of the more squishy bugs and stuff that, you know, kind of you know, pop, pop in your mouth. Um, one of the things I never heard of was the, um, the cricket flower. Never heard of that before ever. Uh, again, curious about what that, you know, hopefully this kind of sparks a little bit of just, hey, let me go and look uh, look up what, what that entails and uh, what you can do with cricket flour. I mean, is it used just like a regular old flour? Um, that might be something to, to do. You know, if you had, uh, you know, other kind of flour, you had some wheat, could you could you cut some <laughs> some cricket in there, uh, you know, for, for some protein? I, I don't know, I guess. But anyway, interesting to, uh, to consider. And, uh, you know, that's one thing when, when you read a lot of the dystopian novels, um, one of the things that, you know, it, people still have beef. And, I mean, of course, it costs money and, and all those kinds of things. They've got beef. They've got pork. They've got, you know, all those things. Um, but you never see things like this. You know, uh, you never hear about the, uh, you know, the, the aquaponics part. You never, you know, you wonder if that's sustainable over time. To go ahead and do that. The thing is, is it sustainable if uh, the poop hits the fan? Uh, you know, can you can you keep your crickets in your your cricket farm going if uh, if you don't have electricity and you don't have uh, you know orders from Amazon coming in? So that's part of the uh, the thing there. But there are a lot of links here. There are um, like I said, the video that you'll want to go check out, and uh, you know, like I said, a lot of good stuff to consider. So go check that out at Sheep Dog Man.
All right. Last article of the podcast of this episode comes to us from Modern Survival Blog. The title is Without Electricity, Level 1 Prepping and Preparedness. Hey guys, I know I do a lot of this, but I think this is one of the ones that just it really starts coming up because we depend on electricity so much. Um, you know, I don't think we realize it. We depend on it so much. It's just there. We wake up in the morning. We're, you know, sleepy eyed. We, we reach for without even looking, without even really, it's all kind of subconscious for, for a lot of us. We wake up in the morning and we reach for the, for the light switch and it's there. It always comes on. Um, if we don't have that, you know, there, life is going to be way different. You're going to be doing things a lot different. Uh, you know, your, your, your days are going to wind down. If you don't have electricity, you're going to wind down when it gets dark. I mean, you're going to have, you know, uh, sustainably, you know, over the long period, you're going to have uh, just, you know, small ways to create light. You know, that's if you have candles and different things like that, um, you know, because eventually flashlights and batteries and all those kind of things wear out. But uh, something, you know, I, I think this is important. And then also in the back of my mind, I'm always cyber attack is just right around the corner. Uh, you know, you always have that. I know a lot of people are, are concerned about EMP. I'm more concerned about you know, cyber attack, you know, those kinds of things happening. than really the e EMP, although, you know, I totally am 100 percent totally aware and understand that that is possible but I, I do really think that cyber attacks are probably more along the the way that's going to happen and we've seen it already happening like in ukraine that that, that is happening that's going on so let's go ahead and get into this one uh, again without electricity level one prepping and preparedness and uh, let's go ahead and start reading being without electricity for a few hours is no big deal right well, maybe it isn't too much of a problem if the power outage only lasts a few hours, but when it drags on into the day or longer, then you will certainly have some issues to deal with. When you really think about it, our modern way of life is hinged on the availability of electricity, the grid. Now imagine the possibility of being without electricity for up to one week, level one preparedness. Let me explain how to get through it. First of all, this is level one preparedness and a temporary power outage is not the end of the world. So we're only going to address some of the disruptive aspects of a power outage. What will you miss when the power goes out? One of the first things people will miss when the power goes out is the internet connection. The home Wi-Fi router will no longer be enabling connection, uh, con enabling connection to the internet for any of the computers or smart devices that normally connect. That said, most people do have a data plan to go along with their cell phone plan. So if the power outage isn't terribly wide reaching, then the towers will still be operational. This may enable you to contact others if needed. Note, text messaging often works even when cell towers are busy. I think we can all survive without the internet for a while. And besides, this is level one preparedness, one week or less. So no big deal, although today's kids may go through internet withdrawals. Most people watch way too much TV anyway. The point is that this form of entertainment or news gathering will be down. A highly recommended prep in the department is a battery-operated portable radio. I have written a number of articles about portable radios, including these. The best cheap portable radio for AM-FM, best AM radio for DX long-range listening, and three best emergency radios for around 50 bucks. The kitchen without electricity. For a short-term power outage lasting just a few hours, no big deal. If it drags on into a day or longer, there will be definitely some concerns regarding the kitchen, the refrigerator, the freezer, cooking, and coffee. 
Okay, so you know the refrigerator will warm up pretty quickly without electricity. Your best course of action will be to consume the foods that you're keeping in there first. This will minimize waste. The freezer that's part of your refrigerator will keep the foods frozen probably for 24 hours. So don't open the freezer unless you're taking something out. If you had a chest freezer, they are typically insulated better than a refrigerator freezer. This may sound funny, but drape blankets over your chest freezer for even more insulation during a power outage expected to last longer than just a few hours. Your chest freezer may keep things frozen for several days this way. After that, if the outage is ongoing, it will be time to start eating that freezer food. I have two chest freezers and I rely on this set of wireless thermometers. They have a thermometer alarm to monitor for problems. It would be very helpful during the, a power outage to know the internal temperature without opening the freezer. I, uh, I've never really looked into those wireless uh, thermometers, but that might be something that uh, is very interesting to go check out and uh, to be able to know that uh, what the temperature is on the inside. Um, not too long ago, you know, listen to that Stephen Harris. Um, you know, St Stephen Harris has done a lot of articles or a lot of podcasts on uh, the Survival Podcast with Jack Spirko, and he's talked about insulating your refrigerator and your your freezer with blankets. And so, uh, you know, you, you can do that. The other thing that he's talked about, kind of like what Ken was talking about in his article, the other thing that you could do is uh, in your in your car. If you fill up your gas tank you and you have a decent sized vehicle, you have even if you have a smaller vehicle, you have a, a generator there built in you know with maybe a smaller vehicle fifteen get fifteen twenty gallons to maybe thirty forty gallons thirty five gallons maybe um, you know so you have a generator there that if you plug in um, you can uh, plug in a uh, an inverter. And run an extension cord from there to your uh, to your refrigerator, and so you can keep it going. So you can run it for a couple of hours and keep keep it you know keep it in a place where you're not going to lose everything if you have you know a lot of food in there. So that is one big possibility to do that. You need to make sure that you'll buy an inverter, a good inverter that uh, you know with the, the the wattage that will be able to run and kick on your your refrigerator. Um, but uh, that is definitely something you might want to consider uh, because that way you don't have to go through your food and throw everything away. Um, I also think that having a, a good ice chest uh, is is important. They make ice chests that, um, like I said before, I know I've talked about this before. We've gone up to the country and uh, we put you know big blocks of ice at the bottom. You know the big uh, fruit juice. Uh, fruit juice plastic jugs with with ice you know we filled them up and put them in the freezer they froze over with a little bit of water on the bottom and it lasted you know two three days um, things were you know we still had ice at the bottom and so it was still kind of cold so uh, having a, a really good ice chest to invest in also I think uh, if you're talking about uh, a short-term power outage I think that's that's very doable I think everyone should have one of those all right so um, let's continue on as you know, not all foods need to be cooked to eat. Canned foods, for example, can be eaten without cooking because they have already been safely processed. Do you have a good manual can opener? That said, your option will include your barbecue grill. I keep several extra tanks in reserve. Not only do I not want to run out during a barbecue, but having extra will go a long way towards cooking without electricity. 
A camp stove is a great option too. It's more suited for cooking with pots and pans. Given that it's not the end of the world for level one preparedness, it might be if you're a coffee drinker. This is what you're going to need. I have one for just in case, a coffee percolator. Uh, I have recently, uh, we have a couple of them. We have one that we leave up in the country. Uh, we have one that, I have one here at the house. Uh, we do have a gas burner, so if we ever lose electricity, gas is still available. I'm still able to cook and uh, still able to make coffee in the morning, those kinds of things. Uh, if it's hot, I'm not going to do it inside. I'm going to go outside just like Ken's talking about here. I'm going to do it on my on my barbecue grill or my camp stove. But uh, that is something, if you are a coffee drinker, uh, you know, not having not having your coffee in the morning, if you're one of those where you start getting grumpy and uh, you need your caffeine and you start having caffeine withdrawals, it, invest in a percolator. They're only like $17 to $19 for a nice one. So uh, just do it. All right, continuing on. Although the novel with the same name, Lord Lights Out, although the novel with the same name was a great read, if the power outage drags into the night and beyond, you're going to need an adequate supply of flashlights and light sources. You probably already have a flashlight or two at home, but do you have extra batteries? That's important. Check your inventory and do what you need to do. I also have two of the following LED lanterns, which are a great light source. I wrote an article about it several years ago. Another thing you can do is buy some of those cheap yard landscaping solar lights. You can take them in at night and have light, then recharge the next day outside. Whenever there is a situation resulting in power outage longer than several hours, there is always a run on generators. Don't let, it, don't let it be you. Perhaps it's a smart thing to pick one up now before you might ever need it and they're all sold out. Remember that talk about the refrigerator and freezer? Well, with a generator, you can run it for an hour or two every so often and keep that fridge and freezer nice and cold. There are a lot. There are all sorts of generators out there. There are those that are less expensive and generally loud and don't provide clean power. That said, most of them will do in a pinch. You can pay lots of money for a quiet generator too. Although not for everyone due to cost, one of the best in that department is the Yamaha generator. Super quiet and clean power. Do you have spare gas for the generator? How much do you have? That's another thing that sells out quickly during a long-lasting power outage. Speaking of which, it's important, very important, to treat your gas for long-term storage. Here's an article I wrote about it a while ago. Full treatment for generators. Um, just talking about that really quick. They also make dual-fuel uh, dual generators. So, And you can also buy uh, conversion kits to where you can turn your gas generator into a propane generator as well. And uh, so that is an option. And, you know, you can run it off the little 20-gallon tanks, but, uh, you know, the, what we're really looking at is when we go up to the country is having one of the big pig bladders up there um, that hold, you know, a, a lot of propane. And, uh, you know, running a line, we'll have a line that runs into the house, and or this is the plan for the future have a, a, a line that runs into the house for the gas oven and the gas, gas stove, but also running a line that will go into straight into uh, a generator, a dual fuel generator that will allow us to run and have electricity if we need to. And uh, having one of those big, uh, you know, big gas pigs will be uh, you know, a lot more affordable than, than trying to run a lot of those 20, uh, you know, those 20 gallon cans. All right. Uh, while our modern lives are very much disrupted without electricity, you can easily get through a relatively short-term power outage with a few preparations. 
Hopefully this has helped get you thinking about it. And so there's some related articles, Prepping and Preparedness, 1-4 to four Overview. Uh, it looks like uh, Ken's going to start doing a couple of uh, um, a series on this. Hopefully he does because um, always, he always has good advice uh, on here. Uh, one of the things about uh, you know Ken's community over there, he's got a lot of comments. So there's 72 comments on uh, that you can go check out. So there's always great information. People always share more information and uh, uh, you know ideas and things that don't normally make it into an article, but people are doing it or people have tried it, and it's something that you know you might want to consider as well. Um, so um, you know, good good stuff there. Definitely want to consider that for short-term power outages, and we'll be paying attention to uh, you know to Ken's website for the other articles as they're as they start coming out. Um, there was one other thing that I wanted to point out, and I started I uh, started talking, and I completely lost it. It's one of those, right? Um, all right, so go check that. If that comes back to me, I'll I'll mention it uh, here in just a minute. All right, so. Um, I wanted to let you know, I, I'm doing, if you're uh, listening to this on Sunday night, because I do release them on Sunday night, um, you know, it's pretty amazing. I can wake up on Monday morning and I check, and there's been a lot of downloads uh, just from Sunday night when I post it. But um, if you're listening to this on Monday, I did release, if you are a member of the email list, I did release an article on Venezuela. I've been kind of following that. Um, because here's the thing, this is a modern day civilization, a modern day society, and they're going through SHTF right now. Um, I don't know if you've seen the news, but there was uh, an attack on the army base, and of course the uh, the army was able to repel that back, but you have people desperate over there. I mean, they're, they're attacking an army base. So a lot of the times when you when you're looking on uh, when you're on Facebook or Twitter and you see things that are going on in Venezuela, a lot of the times you'll see people protesting. You'll see you know the army or the police fighting against protesters. Um, you know there was this one sad one where um, you know they they shot and killed a protester. I, I didn't really get to the whole gist of it. Just saw a little clip on Twitter. But I mean a guy died, right? And so you know that that's happening a lot. But uh, you don't normally get down deep into what exactly is going on. Like, what is the normal person? Uh, you know, you see the videos on, on the protest and all that kind of stuff. But what is the normal person feeling in Venezuela? And so that's kind of what I've been interested in and been trying to research that and find, you know, things like that. And so I put together an article. I wasn't planning on it, but in my research, I started thinking, and I'm like, man, this is something I want to go ahead and let people know about because this is a modern-day society that is breaking down. People don't have the basics, and uh, I think it's very, very eye-opening for us who we are here. We have everything. You can go to the grocery store right now and buy whatever you want. People over there in Venezuela who they might even have money, but they can't go to the grocery store because they don't have anything, right? And so... Um, you know, we, we have all the everything that we need right now. That's why we prep. And so uh, I'm going to release uh, and uh, I'm releasing an article that I wrote. And just to kind of do something different, kind of do uh, a thank you to those that are on the email list. I'm uh, releasing it to them and it's password protected. I know that kind of sucks. People are like, ah, you know, Todd, why are you doing it that way? Just it's something different. I'm doing that as a thank you to those that are on the list. 
Um, so they'll get to see it and read it a whole week before uh, that, uh, you know, anybody else. I will, I mean, I am, I am going to open it up to the public. Uh, I'm going to take the password off, you know, later on in the week. But, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. So if you are on the list and you get that, or if you're listening to this on Sunday, uh, Sunday, Sunday evening, and you're you're not on the list. You can go you can go sign up really quickly on the Prepper website podcast.com and and uh, you'll get it in the morning time. But uh, you know, I think it's uh, an important article. I think it's important to kind of see that. I'm really trying to track down like first person's accounts. I, I know Daisy, and we read that. I believe we read that here on the podcast. Daisy had a letter from Venezuela where she was uh, in communication with someone uh, from Venezuela and what they were going going through. The thing that kills me is that this is a tropical climate. These people should be able to grow anything that they that they that they need, right? Um, you know, all kinds of food and, and all of that. That should just be this. It's a no-brainer. The problem is being that it's a modern society. They're so used to. Uh, you know, food being imported—that's that's the thing, and we have become so accustomed to that as well. You can go to—I can go to my grocery store, and I can have almost any kind of fruit I want, right? I mean, that's not that's not normal. But we bring in fruit from all over the world because it's in season wherever the, you know they're at. When it comes into our grocery stores, and we can have it whenever we, we want, and uh, you know, it's taken away a lot of you know how does this grow? How does this happen? How do we get this? Uh, you know, our, our ability, our agricultural society that just everyone knew, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, 125 years ago, every, everyone knew those kinds of things. It was just built into society. Uh, maybe not even a hundred years ago. We could, you know, we could go back maybe 75, 80 years ago and people, people knew those kinds of things. And now it's just, it's so lost to us. But anyway, I think that'll be an interesting article, um, uh, so hopefully you'll get to go see that. And, and if not, hey, don't worry. I'm going to release it on, uh, I think on Friday. I'll open it up to everyone and then, uh, you know, post it so that uh, people can see that. But anyway, hey, thanks again for tuning in this uh, this week, uh, starting off, uh, kicking off another week of the Prepper Website Podcast. I can't believe, again, it's, it's kind of crazy that I, I'm opening up with saying it's the episode 121. Uh, I just, that's, you know, we've, uh, we've, put out uh, a lot of uh, podcasts out there, uh, a lot of episodes, so really grateful for that. Hey, if you get a chance, come by the come by the website and drop me a line in the comment section. Um, I'd love for you to share out the podcast with your friends on social media and word of, word of mouth. And uh, feel free to hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're not a member of the Facebook group, come on over and join that. You can go to uh, the website and put it in your URL of my, uh, uh, more self life.com that'll take you straight to the Facebook group or just come to the website um, the prepper website podcast.com and click on Facebook group and it'll take you there and uh, you just ask to join and just as long as you're not a crazy person or you're and I have de- I have declined people there's people like who get in there who um, they want to you can tell they're not in any kind of preparedness at all and they're just they just want to go and market it or whatever and I don't allow that so I shut that down pretty quickly so I don't let people in if I don't see any kind of preparedness at all any kind of it, it, it just you're not in so but anyway uh, uh, you know we're trying to make it a community where where people can come and uh, learn from each other so uh, all right so with that choose to live a more self-reliant life choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind 
Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.